Hey there, and welcome back to The Will and Rob Show. Well, one week later, and things don't seem to be getting better anytime soon. Since our last show, more states have issued shelter-in-place orders because of coronavirus, including my home state of Virginia. And official timelines have us in precautionary measures until the end of April at the earliest. Some are even saying mid-June. With time to reflect on every possible facet of the global pandemic, political pundits, psychologists, academics, theologians, and even your neighbor Karen down the street have weighed into the digital public square to offer their thoughts. Today, we want to look at some of our favorite pieces circulating the web, some good and some not so good, but we think these best give us insight into how people are reacting to coronavirus. I am joined by my good friend, Will, through the interwebs and the hottest stock on the market, Zoom. Will, how are you doing, man? Thankful I invested in Zoom. No, I didn't. I didn't. You know, it's a hit or miss type thing. Sunday was a pretty good day. It was beautiful outside. Yesterday was also beautiful outside, but just uh, felt a little heavier. So I, um, I had another Zoom meeting with some friends last night. And one of the encouragements was to just learn to take something one day at a time. And I kind of have to, while I can, for kind of curiously at this point in life, I can kind of predict what tomorrow is going to be like. There's not going to be a lot going on outside and I'll be working from home. Um, But it's such a strange unforeseen time that I don't know completely how I'm going to respond. And so to wake up expectant of a new day and yet also patient to receive what comes and to pay attention to how things are affecting me. Yeah. You were also busy last weekend. You wrote a little piece for Ministry to State. Yeah, I did. I did. We uh, released it on Saturday. We're just kind of thinking about the, uh, again, the the unexpected times and the sense of kind of lostness that I feel and I think a lot of us feel of how do we move forward. The ways that we have been moving forward have changed and the the kind of maybe mis- misplaced certainty is revealed as as just that as being misplaced and so we don't really know how to handle this time and so i i just wanted to encourage myself and those um that we're in ministry with to trust and to be thankful for the love of the father for us and the callings he's placed on us wherever we are to to live faithfully yeah, it was great. It was a real blessing to me. Um, and so our listeners can go check that out on, on ministryofstate.org. Um, it's in resources and under devotionals, or you can just check it out in the show notes. I'll link to it there. Um, but that wasn't the only thing that got written uh, over the weekend that made some headlines. There was also, oh, no. You're going there was there. also a You're New York it. Times piece, op-ed, I should say, that was published on Friday uh, that definitely turned some heads, especially in the evangelical community. Peace was titled, The Religious Rights Hostility to Science is Crippling Our Coronavirus Response. Uh, And it was by Catherine Stewart, who is the author of The Power Worshippers, Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. Was the title. So the original title was The Road to Coronavirus Hell Was Paved by Evangelicals. Yeah, a little little harsher uh, with that one. Gosh, take off the velvet glove. (laughs) Let everyone have it. So we both read this piece. Will, I kind of wanted to just start off with what was your first impression when you read it? Well, you had sent it to me 
And then when I went back to it later, the title was changed. So I, my first um, perception of the article was the fact that, whoa, this thing has gotten so much blowback that the, the replaced article title was so much softer and so much less direct. And I think actually after having read the article, it's probably more consistent with the contents of the article. I mean, she makes like these broadly sweeping claims without any real basis anywhere and lumps anyone who labels themselves as an evangelical, which I know you want to talk about as the cause of coronavirus, and then also kind of backtracks and is like, well, but if you're not everyone who's religious is the bad person. And then she's like, then somehow in there finds a way to criticize morally absolute claims. Somehow that becomes a target of hers as well. So it's uh, all over the place. And um, I, I mean, I, I think discouraging. I think the people I talked to about it were both kind of like, man, this is this is disheartening. And then would also point to what Jesus said about following him. But I think the problem with that is it feels like persecution for like non-theological issues. It's like, wait, who, which evangelicals are you hating right now? Yeah, I think, I think what my main takeaway is that it's more proof to me that the word evangelical means both everything to some people and nothing to others. Right. Cause it's, it's one of those, those labels, one of those monikers that, I mean, I would probably, I would take the, the moniker evangelical. Yeah. Yeah. And when I think evangelical, I think of people like uh, Tim Keller up in New York, who's often uh, published in the New York times, Russell Moore, uh, who was published just the day before with a really good piece on Christian witness during coronavirus. And at the same time, the people that she's, list, she's not listing those kind of people she, in her piece about evangelicals, uh, talking about prosperity gospelers. Health and wealth. Uh, yeah, health and wealth. Those theologically people, ambiguous. It's, it's really hard to nail down exactly where they stand, which is what has traditionally been what defines evangelical. Right. And so I think my, my question for that is the, the pastors that she listed. Yeah, Rodney Howard Brown. Um, Tony Spell uh, are two that she lists. Guillermo Maldonado. So my question, do you, do you know any three of those? Like, do you know anything about those three people? The only reason I've heard of the first name was that there was another article about this pastor getting, uh, Rodney Howard Brown getting arrested for continuing to host services. Okay, yeah. So whenever something like this comes out about evangelicals do something nefarious and I click on the link, it's always about an evangelical that I've never heard about before. And so I always wonder why do people who are hostile to the christian faith hostile towards evangelicalism in america why is it that whenever a very isolated event happens like a mega church in tampa decides to continue having services while the vast majority of churches are shutting down and closing following cdc guidelines why why is the isolated event picked out and said look look at what evangelicals are doing what is it about that? I mean, this is all hypothesizing here and guessing. I would say that for one, it has a lot to do with a complete lack of understanding of what evangelical means and the original theological meaning that was like really revitalized by Martin Luther and the Reformation and has carried a lot of weight since then has been replaced, gutted in a lot of ways and filled with, 
socio-political meaning. Hmm. And so it has turned into something that means the um, predominantly white middle-class individual who votes Republican and is a single issue voter and voted for 80% of whom voted for Trump in the 2016 election. But Graham Goldsworthy, who's a, who's a scholar, defines evangelical as one who maintains an adherence to the conviction of the final authority of the Bible as God's written word. And, and or word written. So I, what what's being described as evangelical today by a lot of people in the public square is a far cry from something that is actually theologically and, and like historically meaningful. Yeah, and I think another part of that piece that I, I wanted to highlight when I read it was the sort of cliched dualism between science and faith that seems to be a, a trump card in the back pocket of a lot of people who are hostile to Christianity as the sort of in every conversation to sort of throw that on the table as if Christians hadn't been responding to that for thousands of years. Um, It's, it's really interesting to me. And so she makes a very broad claim that this evangelical section that she thinks is very wide and um, encompasses so many people are all science deniers. And I think it's, it's an interesting thing to lay at the feet of evangelicals. When you consider the fact that this virus has done a ton of damage in secularized countries, uh, certainly countries that are way more secularized than America in, the, in Europe and, and uh, East Asia. And I just think it's, it's an interesting thing to sort of lay at the feet of evangelicals in America uh, the other thing that I would I would point to is that a vast majority of evangelicals in this country are listening to the science and are shutting are shutting down their door or their churches, right? Or are putting uh, their churches online because they trust the data that the scientists are putting out uh, about the damage that this virus could have, um, and and this is not new, right? I saw people uh, all across the internet circulating uh, who, who saw this piece and, and were upset about it, circulating the line from Luther about sort of how he, how he handled pandemics uh, in his time. And it's, it's always full of yes, prayer. Yes. An acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God, but also like follow precautions. Look at us Calvinists talking about Martin Luther. I know who would have seen the day. <laughs> I think one thing that really sort of drove this point home for me, uh, was I then went on Twitter and I saw that Dan Rather, he had a pretty great tweet that was, uh, in science we trust, which is just an uh, incredible thing to state. I think it's important to note, she, she makes in the, in the piece, she makes a point of bringing up science deniers in the Christian community uh, from the 19th century. And it's important to note that there have been lots of Christian leaders in the public square in that time who did support awful things like slavery, and they were wrong on those things. It's also important to note that a lot of the science that was being quote-unquote denied by Christians at that time was a lot of the science that led to the eugenics movement in the early 20th century. And so is it sort of trump card to say, well, look at these Christian science deniers, they've always been science deniers, when a lot of the science at that time was morally abhorrent? It was just an interesting piece to get published uh, right now during this time. And I think it did sort of take evangelicals by surprise to see something uh, written like that. 
So that was that was one piece. Will, what's caught your eye in the mediascape? The Wall Street Journal on their in their review section had a, several leaders come together and write about how they expected the world to change through this pandemic and what they thought the long-term effects would be in different areas. And they had everything from like Rahm Emanuel, Jeb Bush, which was really interesting actually because they offer different perspectives on how local and national governments can respond. So I appreciated that even disagreement within this section. And then uh, Bradford uh, Wilcox, who is at University of Virginia, wrote an article about marriage during this time and it's, it's life after coronavirus. And I, it caught my attention because I've been thinking about that and hopeful in my heart that perhaps this time where families have to stay home, marriages can be strengthened and uh, deeper appreciation can be had between the spouses. Uh, I've also heard over the weekend that domestic violence is on the rise, which is heartbreaking. And a friend had kind of brought that to my attention actually a couple weeks ago, just praying for those who, who are in unhappy home life situations. But he makes the point in here that the kind of the old fashioned values of someone who you can trust and rely on someone that makes a, a home with you is, is actually a really great thing in comparison to what he criticizes the Elizabeth Gilbert eat, pray, love model <laughs> that's out there that, that may not serve up. But, you know, I am not married. I'm a single guy and vastly unqualified to speak about marriage. So you speaking into this and your insights with your married friends would be helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think it's totally true. I think that being forced to stay in oftentimes for at least young married couples, a smaller apartment or condo or smaller house and being forced to shelter in place together and spending a lot more hours together reveals certain characteristics and personality traits that you really admire in people that you don't get in other circumstances, I think is, is a good way of saying it. I have always known that my wife was an amazing mother. Um, I knew that when I worked in an office and spent eight hours a day away from her and only saw her interacting with our son for a limited amount of time during the day. Now, watching her as a mother all day, uh, now that I'm home, you sort of appreciate those characteristics that go into being a good mother even more because you see them tested more routinely. Patience is tested a lot more throughout the day than sort of the, the morning and evening hours. Just the, even like the small things, like being able to play <laughs> with a two-year-old for extended periods of time, that takes a certain personality that you don't really see uh, in other times. And so I, I think that this, this period of coronavirus is absolutely going to make people think a lot, a lot harder about what do they want in a spouse. That's good. And here's a quote from the article where he says, speaking about the way that divorce rate fell during the Great Recession, and he's thinking the same thing could happen here. And he says, that's because in times of trial and tribulation, most people and most spouses don't become more self-centered. They become more other-centered, more cognizant of how much they need their family members to navigate difficult and dark times. So in post-COVID-19 America, I'm confident that the family first model of marriage will gain ground against the soulmate model, which I mean, there's a lot of background there to make sense of it all, but. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And I think it's also gonna be interesting to see the political ramifications of, of such a family first uh, mindset. Mm -hmm. um, instead of thinking of marriage as two independent individuals 
uh, coming together for mutual benefit. Um, I think that a more family first uh, policy that sort of is more bound at home and then like leaves the house together. I think it's going to be interesting for the political ramifications because we have been so individually minded since the sixties, whereas our history has been more household familial. Um, so I think he actually talks about the seventies me generation. Cool. We got one more article. Do we have time? Yeah, I think we got time to go through it. Um, one piece that, that caught my eye because I saw it circulating on Twitter uh, by a bunch of pastors and uh, seminary professors and, and folks that I follow was a piece in Time Magazine that I was surprised that was written by N.T. Wright. I think the headline grabbed more attention than maybe the piece itself, although I think that there's things in the piece worth discussing um, and worth debating a little bit. I think it's important to note that authors don't typically pick their headlines. It was Christianity offers no answers about the coronavirus. It's not supposed to. I think if you're reading just the headline, that's going to be quite shocking. But basically, N.T. Wright makes an, makes an interesting case, uh, at least I thought, which I think is, is always needed when evil happens. I know when 9-11 happened, there was a lot of these sort of pamphlets that went around uh, Katrina was another one. Hurricane Katrina was another one. I remember a lot of quote unquote evangelical leaders getting on TV. And it, it's always, there's always got to be a reason and an explanation for why did this evil happen? And it's too often the case that it, it gets labeled as this specific incident is punishment directly from God for the specific sins of a specific demographic of people. That's typically how the argument. And I think N.T. Wright does a good job in this piece of sort of pushing the brakes on that. And so you are much more further along in seminary than I am. Oh my gosh. I'm, so I'm going to, I'm going to take a tennis racket and whack that one back at you. What, what's, what was sort of your, your general takeaway from, from such a statement? I am a huge N.T. Wright fan. I'm very thankful for him. I definitely disagree with him on some very crucial points, but I love the way he writes about Jesus and it has had a profound impact on my life. I think he makes a really good point and a very responsible point of saying and we see this a lot. There's a lot of pastors and teachers out there who are trying to explain why this is happening and saying this is God's judgment or this is because of X, Y, or Z decision. And, you know, that is just so dangerous and wrong and theologically inaccurate. So I think it is good to say, look, we cannot say exactly why this is happening. But I do think that Christians can step in and offer more and offer more on the lines of hope after the lamentation that takes place. You made a good point. We were texting about it earlier. Uh, it's important to keep in mind who is Wright's audience in this piece. The main person that I think N.T. Wright thinks of when he writes pieces, especially that get published in Time Magazine, is person outside of the Christian faith, maybe somebody who's even hostile towards the Christian faith. His tone and the way that he explains things about the Christian faith, I think is a very strong apologetic. With that, we're about out of time. Uh, so we'll sign off. I'm Robert. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at RD Hassler. Will, you are now on Twitter. You're active. I'm following you. You've been tweeting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, at Stockdale Will. Um, you can also visit Ministry to State at www.ministrytostate.org. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Ministry to State. Subscribe to this podcast. Uh, leave us a review. Leave us a comment. Uh, ask us a question. We'd love to uh, get to know our, our audience. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And with that, we'll see you next week.